0: Hey, folks, welcome to the Adventure Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Mason. Uh, today, we're talking to Josh Murphy, and this is a very special episode. In fact, it's going to be a two parter because I talked to Josh for so long. His story is wild. He grew up in rural Pennsylvania and was really overweight, really obese, and he just talked about that experience and what it was like to kind of grow up feeling, you know, hopeless about a lot of things and how small the incident was, the seed that was planted in him to to make a change. And it just shows me the power of words that we share with people and be listening for that moment in this episode. But Josh ultimately changed his life, lost the weight and made it his mission, his life mission to get into the military, military service, do something with his life in his own words. And that door as we'll see, was, was, despite the crazy amount of work, was closed on him and how he shifted to take that focus to the Pacific Crest Trail and through hike it. This changed his life, to say the least, and we're here today to talk about it, and he does such a great job telling the story. I was absolutely captivated while he told his life story. I could have kept talking to him for hours, frankly, and I'm very excited about what he's doing next. He's, he's out in the Pacific Northwest, training to be a wildland firefighter. So it's just one of those amazing stories, one of the guests we have on that just knocks my socks off. So uh, without further ado, let's go ahead and jump in and hear Josh Sorrell. And actually, by the way, I encourage you to follow him on Instagram because he takes some absolutely amazing pictures. His pictures are unbelievable. Follow him, check out what he's done, and... Enjoy this two part series part one today part two will be next week. Let's dive in All right, folks, welcome to the adventure sports podcast today. We have a story that is It's gonna knock your socks off and You heard a little bit about josh's story in the intro We're gonna welcome josh murphy to the show now josh. How you doing?
1: Doing great. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I, you know, sometimes I know this answer, sometimes I don't. Where are you coming from today and where's home for you? And I know home's getting ready to change here soon.
1: Yeah. So uh, home for me is Sarah, Pennsylvania, small town right on the border of uh, upstate New York, kind of in the middle of nowhere. So the way I explain to people where that is, is if you're familiar with Ithaca, New York, I'm about an hour south of that and the Finger Lakes region in general. So coming to you from... The middle of nowhere Pennsylvania
0: small town Pennsylvania, what is it like there? What is life like in Sayre Pennsylvania?
1: Sayre is actually a bigger town for the area I'm in because we have a pretty decent hospital here actually something It's really nice to have when you live in the middle of nowhere, but uh, so that creates a lot of jobs and kind of businesses around that. But you know, as soon as you leave town, you're looking at dirt roads, you know, a house every few miles, that kind of thing. And yeah, it's pretty, pretty easy to get lost out there.
0: It looks like some really cool forested areas to kind of like the Southwest. It looks pretty remote out there.
1: Yeah, yeah. We've got some pretty desolate like state forests, the Loyal Sox State Forest, for example, uh, the Black Forest. Then you get into upstate New York. The Adirondacks are a few hours away from the hidden gem, I might add. You know, super oh, yeah. thankful to be so close to that part of the part of the country. Did you grow up in that area? I did, born and raised. Yep. Wow. Born and raised right here And well, I guess I technically grew up in Athens. The community I live in is known as the Valley. And it's made up of three different towns Athens, Sarah, and Waverly that um, might as well be the same place. They're all just kind of right next to each other. Spent most of my time up in the hills of Athens, Pennsylvania on my grandparents' dairy farm.
0: Sounds idyllic.
1: It, it was. It really was.
0: Yeah. Well, you're getting ready to move. You said to Washington. What, what, what are you doing? What are you moving to Washington for? What's drawing you out there?
1: I'm moving out to Port Angeles, Washington. Exactly you know, where on that the, is. Yeah. I never been myself, but, uh, yeah, it's, you know, it's on the Olympic peninsula there and I'm going to be a wildland firefighter for the season for 2023 there. And yeah, really looking forward to that, you know, never been to that part of the country. i have always wanted to go and, uh, what better way to see it than while you're trying to protect it from natural disaster, right? You're
0: gonna see it like very few people get to, you know, off trail, yeah. in the woods, uh, on fire, maybe. <laughs> so it's like, <laughs> yeah, you're gonna yeah, see little... it in a lot of different ways that people want. But man, that area, when my wife and I moved, we were in Colorado and we we're gonna move. That town, Port Angeles was on our short list. That well, it was like top three places. At the time, it was a heck of a deal, you could get on a house it was it's called the rain shadow there where it kind of stays a little drier it's beautiful you got the ocean you got hurricane ridge and the olympic range right there man it's a beautiful area and i know that you've seen it or you've seen parts of washington on the pct but you're going to love it you're going to absolutely love it
1: yeah all the research i've done really indicates that it's it's kind of what i've been looking for <laughs> my whole life so so
0: Man, I want to hear a little bit about your story. I know it's a long story. Wink, wink. Yeah. Because <laughs> says... I know that's your trail name. But, to, you know, you grew up in Sarah. Tell us a little bit about, you know, uh, you you were obese for most of your life. What what was, um when did that start? How did that get going? What do you remember about the beginning of that?
1: From my earliest memories, I've always been Obese. Well, I should say, always was obese. You know, I was always the fat kid. It was always much larger than, you know, everyone else around me, even growing up. I think I hit six feet in height before I was in like eighth grade. I don't know. Just always the bigger guy. I guess what started that was, you know, I mentioned I spent a lot of time on my grandparents' dairy farm. I grew up in a low income housing development. With parents that really never prioritized like health, nutrition, fitness, anything like that. Uh, There was a lot of turmoil in my childhood and pretty dark times. And I kind of numbed that with food a lot of the time. And you know, you just spend so many years just kind of eating your problems away as a child, and that's reinforced. You know, when I would leave my parents to go spend time at my grandparents, I had a grandmother that would just kind of like, you, you know, grandma's pantry, right? Mm-hmm. Like all the all the best stuff is up in there. And I would just eat my sorrows away, you know? And that was coupled with, you know, I would also go wander through the woods and do random farm work here and there. But what really numbed the pain a lot of the time was just eating until I felt better say eating myself into a stupor almost, but yeah, you know, that adds up over time. just got worse and worse and worse. So I maxed out at around 446 pounds in my, uh, mid twenties, you know, just so much between childhood and that moment where I got that number 446 that, uh, which really kind of was the turning point that, uh, you know, led me to having this conversation with you here today.
0: Did you have anyone that was kind of teaching you how to cope with stress with food or did that just kind of come naturally?
1: It just kind of came naturally. You know, food is such an interesting thing. I think, I don't think a lot of people think about their relationship with food in the way that I do. You know, eating, eating food we like, like candy, junk food, what have you? It makes us feel good., uh, It's a dopamine hit. You know, it's the quickest, in a lot of ways, it's the quickest, simplest way to feel better is to eat eat something that tastes good. And uh, that was really that that's what I ran with. You know, no one really <clears throat> taught me that per se. Um, but at the same time of developing that habit, no one was really in a meaningful way, I guess, telling me, Hey, don't do that. (laughs) You Mm -hmm. know, and, and the few people that were, I, you know, didn't listen to, you know, I thought they were, maybe I thought they were being assholes or, you know, just trying to make me feel bad. But, uh, you you don't know better when you're a child, right? That's when you develop (laughs) for better or worse. That's when you develop the habits that, uh, may not define the rest of your life, but are at least gonna, you know, determine your outcome for a little bit there
0: so you grew up in a home. It sounds like, you know, despite living in some pretty cool remote places, y'all didn't get out much in, in exploring any of this.
1: No, no. Um, I, I never, I'm not well traveled. You know, that's, that's one of the first things I tell people, you know, especially when they're like, Oh you, you know, you must explore all the time. You went and hiked the PCT and what, Honestly, that's a very new thing for me.
0: <laughs> I love it, though. I love
1: it. Yeah, that's, you know, most of my life, all of my life has been spent here in this little town that I told you about. I moved to, uh, you know, Pittsburgh for about a year. I lived in Williamsport, Pennsylvania for about a year. Some uh, failed attempts at uh, college, which is a whole other <laughs> whole other topic. But, uh, you know, I guess... For the most part, you know, the furthest I'd ever traveled was Florida on my senior trip in high school, you know. Yeah, woohoo. But I always wanted to get out and see the world, you know, the the Northwest specifically. I've always felt drawn to Washington of all places. So it's kind of interesting and ironic that I'm headed there soon. But yeah, you know, always had this longing desire to get out there and explore, you know, National Geographic, man, I used to, we used to have stacks and stacks of boxes of Nat Geo magazines, no idea where they came from, no idea where they went. I would skim through those all day. And at one point in time in my life, um, my uh, goal was to try to become a National Geographic photographer, which, you know, I didn't even at that time understand the gravity of what it would actually take to achieve that. But needless to say, you know, yeah, that's, that was the dream. You know, if I could travel the world and tell stories and take photos, that would, I want to say aspired to at one point, but I uh, didn't have nearly the work ethic or a discipline to uh, (laughs) make that even close to a reality. But that seed has been planted for quite a long time.
0: I do want to ask you this, since you mentioned it. One thing I noticed when checking out your Instagram and following you, it, 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 your your pictures are stunning. Thank you. Did that, I mean, it's beautiful. You've got the night skies, you've got pictures, portraits of people you've been on the trail that we're, we're gonna talk about your experience, your adventure, engagements you've captured. Like it, it, it's, your pictures are amazing. When did that, did that skill come along with getting healthier or were you into that before all this?
1: So, yeah, that actually, that also kind of harkens back to my childhood. So, dealing with the, I guess, for lack of a better way to put it, the, the trauma that I experienced in my childhood, which I guess we haven't really gotten into.
0: Yeah, are you open to talking about that? Like, is that part of the story you you dive into typically?
1: Yeah, you know, I think like it's probably important to discuss that. So, part of the reason I was, you know eating so much to uh you know it was a form of escapism i had a pretty abusive home life with my uh, stepfather and my mother going up to the farm with my grandparents farm you know eating (laughs) eating myself into a stupor and um actually drawing and reading were other forms of escapism that i would use to um just feel better, you know, try to mask the pain from what I was experiencing on a daily basis in my uh, mother and stepfather's apartment there. You know, it was a lot of uh, physical abuse, you know, verbal, psychological abuse. Just not, not a good situation, you know, not especially for a child to go through.
0: How old were you? I'm sure it was a long amount of time, but like what were the kind of the ranges
1: there? The worst of it was from when I was like five till about probably 10 years old. So for about a, a solid five-year period, it was a lot of just sporadic violence that, uh, you know, you never knew when things were going to get worse or, you know, you never knew what was going to happen. You know, there's this one instance that sticks out the most that I just, I vividly remember this day for some reason. I was just sitting there in a smoke-filled apartment while I think my mom was at work. My stepdad didn't work. He just kind of drank. and Dude, God knows what else that I was too young to even understand at the time. But, you know, I'm just sitting there watching TV and calls my attention and I turn around and I just get hit in the face with a remote control because I was apparently making too much noise. And, uh, you know, I'm like maybe seven or eight years old at this time. So stuff like that was a pretty regular thing. You know, um, my mom would pick me up from school and she would smell like alcohol because, you know, my stepfather threw a beer at her, you know?
0: Mm.
1: (laughs) I don't know why I'm laughing about that. You learn to cope with this kind of stuff in some uh, pretty dark ways, dark humor. You, You laugh at things other people probably... Wouldn't laugh at, so I apologize for that. Don't apologize.
0: uh, No, it's uh, yeah. It's it's how you're dealing with it, and it's also how you're you've gotten to this point. I mean, as a kid, you're just trying to survive. Yeah, you're eating. You're trying to stay out of their way. I guess. Like I, I I can. I. That's absolutely heartbreaking. I have a four year old son, and I just can't imagine him having to deal with any of this.
1: You know, saying it back and hearing your reaction. You know, I've normalized so much of that kind of what i've experienced you know what i mean so for me like when i talk about it as i'm saying it i think to myself man just shut up just deal with it it's it's not that big of a deal but no it's definitely it definitely was a big deal and you know no one should have to go through anything like that and i'm not here to tell you that i've had it like the worst of anyone because there are plenty of people that have had it way worse than me And then the point of even bringing that up, I guess, is just, you know, it is part of my overall story. And, you know, I know some people would experience things like that and it'll traumatize them or put them in a position where they never think they can uh, overcome that or be a different or better person. But I just want you to know that you can. You know, those people aren't going to be around to uh, control or harm you forever. Just know that. When did
0: that start? When did there begin to be, I don't know, a light? What was f- first? Was it getting away from them or was it dealing with the weight that you had gained? Like, wh- Where did things progress to where you started having hope? I-, I-, I Take us through that. Let's take a quick message break and hear from the folks that helped make this show possible. That is plenty of that for now. Let's get back into the episode.
1: It was a long time before I had any hope. I'll be completely honest with you. You know, most of my life up until about my mid twenties, I was really just kind of lost, very lost, you know? So having a childhood like that, and that was just, you know, an example of what's going on. And, you know, like I said, coping with escapism, eating food, always clinging towards anything, any thing that was remotely comfortable or would make me feel good, i would I would gravitate towards that. So that just eventually <laughs> led me to being you know four hundred whatever pounds uh, in my late teenage years, early twenties. And I never, ever felt like I was going to escape that until about when I was 25 years old. You know, my I really thought, you know, my life is what it is. I am who I am. This is who I'm always going to be. Despite my best efforts, I'm always going to be in this town. had a very bleak outlook on life for quite a while didn't really expect to live very long. I didn't expect to live past my thirties. My, you know, cause I really, I figured it. I would either a, just have health issues that would kill me. Mm-hmm. B. I just didn't, I, I didn't have a purpose. Didn't have a place. Yeah. I I've actually, I've dealt with a lot of suicidal ideation throughout most of my life. Which, uh, which I know is a big topic. And uh, I feel like a lot of people have felt that in some capacity, more than I've ever realized, you know? Oh, yeah. Whether by my own hand or my own uh, inevitable actions, I did not expect to be alive this long, to be honest. Yeah, that's a, that's a really deep, dark rabbit hole that we could go down, but I don't, <laughs> I do want to, I don't know, kind of want to, keep things a little more positive than that. And it's that, that's a topic I'm going to discuss more in detail in the book I'm writing about my life. That
0: oh, man. It's going to get
1: pretty heavy and uh, pretty real there. But put it to you this way, man. Didn't think I would be alive this long. Finding hope and purpose when I was 25 and you know, getting to this point is still mind-blowing when I look back on it. But It took a long time to find hope.
0: I appreciate you sharing that. And just know, I've been in that boat, you know, not to the depth and not to the same level as you probably, but there were, you know, I I had some pretty serious bouts of depression in my 20s that were, you know, really rough. It needed help, hospitalizations, all that, medication. And and to this day, it's something I got to, you know, keep an eye on. Never thought that would happen, but there I was. Yeah, man. Can I ask this? Was there anyone in your life during that time? Anybody at all or anybody that was just momentarily in your life that was a positive influence or gave you any sort of hope in that sense or just, you know, influence that wasn't all negative?
1: Yeah, no, I definitely. So where I'm extremely fortunate is that I, I have a pretty good group of friends, pretty like core group of people in my life that are, they're actually, you know, they're, they're in great places in life. You know, I have friends that are doctors. I have friends that are, you know, um, have been athletes their whole lives. And um, I owe them so much. I'm positive, if not for them, I would not be here today. There were people I could escape to. Because especially growing up, you know, I'm, I'm trying to not be home as much as possible. You know, because even after my stepdad left, my father came back in the picture and it it was a little better of a situation, but it was still very toxic, very, very tumultuous. So I found positivity in my friends and my grandparents. More so like my, you know, my grandparents were amazing, definitely were a positive influence in a lot of ways. But as far as, you know, really kind of, I don't know. Keeping my head up, keeping me in the game of life—that like that encouragement really came from my friends, and they really set this set the example for who I would want to strive to be, even if I never thought I could live up to um, who they are or what they can achieve. And almost all of my friends have pretty well-adjusted home and family lives, <laughs> you know. So it was always a good escape to go hang out with them. You know, it wasn't uncommon for me to spend like a week at a time at a friend's house over the summer whenever I could. It, it just a way to escape any way I could for as long as I could, you know? So yeah, my my core group of friends, if you guys are listening to this, you know who you are and may have never even told you this, but honest to God, you guys really helped me get to where I am today.
0: Unbelievable. Well thank you, thank you for sharing that. Before we dive into when things started to turn around for you and you started losing the weight, what are some misconceptions or what's a big misconception about people who are obese in the sense of like, uh, you know, I know there's different types and different ways people get to that point, but what, what's something that you feel like was heavily misunderstood when you were in that state?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, thank you for asking that, actually. I obviously can't speak for everyone. One of my big pet peeves was when you're as overweight and uh i guess fat as i was you know it's not good okay (laughs) like you you understand that you're not healthy i didn't want to be that way but i didn't have the tools available or the knowledge available to really do anything about it for the most part and I don't know, telling someone that's extremely overweight, I don't know, just, um, there's a fine line between, um, encouragement and, uh, just beating a dead horse, if that makes sense. You know, um, it's really telling someone that they're fat is really not going to do a whole lot to change anything. You, you, a lot of people have the train of thought. they like, oh, if you just, you know, you got to tell them how it is and that'll, that'll motivate them to uh, change. It's like, dude, we have plenty of motivation. <laughs> like, yeah, I, I'm looking at myself in the mirror and like looking at what life could be for like my friends that are in shape and like, you know, the people that are, that I admire that are out like exploring the world and living a life and I, I fully understand that my own physical limitations are preventing me from doing that. I don't know. It's, it's not a revelation or something I hadn't right. thought of before. Right.
0: <laughs> right.
1: So, yeah, uh, I don't know. People, I don't know. People just don't get it. And I, I understand that.
0: If They feel like, well, you know, I need to help them realize they're not in a healthy place. Let me shame them yeah. to it. Like, like,
1: Exactly. Like it's their yeah.
0: responsibility to get you there.
1: Yeah. Like I said, there's a fine line between constructive, like concern and actual, you know, like, hey, babe, pretty much, I guess my main point with that is if you're going to, if you're going to give someone grief for being overweight, at least try to offer solutions and help. We already know we're fat. You don't need to remind <laughs> us. It's,
0: it's kind of out there already. No pun intended. Yeah. Oh man, I that's that's I'm sure there's so much we could talk about there because I, I you know, there's there's people in my life I know and 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 it's like yeah, it's not it's not a secret and it's also like I want to know is it your fault like not your fault but like how much of it is in your control versus not. Yeah. In the sense of how much how much is it metabolism or just how, you know, how lucky am I that I don't have to think about it because I've got a healthy metabolism or good genes or whatever it is. What if it wasn't that way? And I had to put a lot more would I have the discipline to I don't even know? Is it all luck?
1: You you know, thinking back, you know, and I I never really, I'm looking at all this from the lens of how I view the world and myself now. But, you know, I never really felt like bad for myself in the sense that, I don't know. I never wanted anyone to feel sorry for me. And I still don't. Mm -hmm. I truly despite like, you know, spilling my life story out here. I'm not doing it for sympathy. It's, I really just want to, I want people to understand what's possible. That's probably something I'm going to say repeatedly (laughs) throughout this, because that is my main point with, with even telling my story. And, you know, looking back on when I was overweight, you know, I, I never had any delusions that it was a good thing. I tried countless times to change the fact, you know, like I said, you know, some of my, two of my best friends, uh, one was like a stellar soccer player, like held records at our high school, um, played in college. Um, the other, you know, it was a division two, uh, lineman, just jacked brawl, like Viking of a guy. You know, I had all these dudes that like when they would come home from college to our, you know, little town I would work out with them, you know. Um, And, but as soon as they would leave, it would all go away. You know, I would stop working out. And, you know, I guess for a long time, I tried to put some blame or uh, stock in using other people as a way to motivate myself. I eventually learned and live by this principle today that it is all from within. You're never going to find real change by uh, trying to find the motivation to do that through other people. It all has to come from within.
0: It's kind of a, a side note here, but but ties in. Someone that who's really been inspiring me lately, I don't know if she would even know this. I've told her. I don't know if she believes me. It's my mother-in-law. She just one day, a couple months ago, started working out and has not stopped every day. Not like you know, all day long, but like consistency 30 minutes to an hour a day of being active. And, I, and I'm not in, I don't know, I just, I've never been really good at that consistency with, with, and I know I want to. And I'm like, wow, she did it. She just did it one day and has been going. And I'm just been blown away. And I ask her about it every time I see her, which is every couple of days because she lives right down the road. And I'm so fascinated about what caused that and that's the question I want to ask you is what got you to start doing something about it? What, what happened or what was the day? What was the moment? What was the meal or the person or the process for you?
1: Things started to change for me when I was probably 24, really started questioning what the hell am I doing with my life? You know, I had no prospects, no real idea what the hell the future would hold for me. Something I had always wanted to do was join the uh, military. Uh, I had two uncles that were Marines, looked up to and admired them for a better part of my life. But, you know, being overweight, I'm the only person I know in my high school that wasn't made to take the asbab, for example. <laughs> like... They just, like, looked at me and were like, yeah, that, that guy doesn't need to take the ass. <laughs> oh, he's not, you know, I guess. So, you know, that was always a back-of-my-mind thing, was, God, I wish I could join the military. You know, it scratches a lot of itches that I've always had, sense of purpose, adventure, all that. And, you know, I started doing research on... I know he's a controversial figure, but uh, Chris Kyle, right? The, uh, the American sniper figure... I had read that he was like an older guy when he joined the Navy SEALs. That got me just doing research and realizing like, ah, oh, wow, like you, you can still join the military in your late 20s, like even in your 30s. That's pretty crazy. started researching, you know, what is the Army's version of a Navy SEAL? Like, ah, Army Rangers. Okay, I've heard of them. Yeah, <laughs> started researching that and really... Keep in mind, I'm like a 450 pound dude that like chain smokes cigarettes at this point in time. This spark inside me just gets lit, you know, like that's what I want to do. Like, if if you ask me point blank, gun to my head, what do you want to do with your life? I want to be an army ranger.
0: Are you telling anybody this at the, that point? Or no, are you no, just keeping it I, all to yourself?
1: Absolutely not. Yeah. <laughs> that's like
0: It's just so far out of the question at
1: that point. It's just so <laughs> far outside of the scope of reality that, you know. It's like it,
0: saying, it, I want to be a superhero.
1: Essentially, you know? yeah. Like, I
0: want to be Superman or Batman. It's just like, what do you, you know, you, you, well, you can't. What do you mean?
1: Yeah, you know, so it seems insane to me. But it stays in my mind, and um, no change comes from that necessarily. A good friend of mine, Dakota, he was in town for, I don't know, he was just passing through something of that nature. He had recently ended his uh, eight-year stint in the Marine Corps and had just joined the Army National Guard as a way to just kind of keep active, keep involved in you know military-type things. And we're, uh, we're having a conversation at one of the local watering holes. I'm, you know, drinking. I'm probably drinking from a pitcher of beer because that's what I used to do back in the day. Smoking a cigarette. And I'm like, Hey, man, you joined the Army. That's awesome. You know, I think it would be one of... It would be the coolest thing in the world to be a ranger. I wish I could do that. And his response... And this is the, only, the first person I'd ever told this to, right? And his response was, you should. And, and I know, it took me back. Because even like saying that out loud, I was drunk, obviously. And it like, kind of just like slipped. And I thought like, oh shit, he's going to like laugh at me or just, you know, think that's insane. But no, I know his response was just a very, yeah, you should do that. I'm like, well, what do you mean I should do that? He's like, look, you're going to have to lose weight, obviously. Just, just being honest with you, man. He's like, but if you could do that, there's not much you can't do. He's like, the military is all mental. His words, not mine. So uh th- yeah, that that planted the seed. That little like just encouragement was literally the first domino in the sequence that uh led to this moment here and now, you know. So Oh
0: my gosh. I
1: and it's not like he said that, and I like you know put out my cigarette and just started running around and the doing block, jumping jacks <laughs> yeah. right in there. Yes, you know? sir.
0: You no. know, no. It yeah. was
1: like it was about a uh, it was about a year after that that I randomly quit smoking cigarettes, and that was the second domino that really just uh, a little background on that. I've I had been a pack a day smoker since I was like fifteen or sixteen. So, going on a decade at this point, never thought I would quit, thought I would die from smoking or something, you know, right? And, uh,
0: well, always you know, tried. You're, you're going to be a wildland firefighter. So, you know,
1: yeah, going back yeah, into already, the smoke right. now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, uh, you know, I quit smoking cigarettes and that was like a light bulb moment. You know, five days in, I was like, holy shit, I, this is the longest I've been without a cigarette in about a decade what else is possible? From there, I kind of revisited. Well, I didn't revisit because the thought never left. And it was like, the army. If I can quit smoking cigarettes, I can lose the weight. I can do what I need to do and make this happen.
0: And this was a year after this guy.
1: And this guy again, who is he? Uh, Dakota Williamson is his name. Okay. Sorry You know, we can edit that out, Dakota. But uh, (laughs) I'm sure he's fine with me name dropping him. But but uh, what
0: I wanted to say is the power of words. Yeah. The power of just being positive to somebody. And you said it perfectly. It it was a seed. It planted an emotional, a, 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 a seed in you that would take time to pay off, but could have easily, just as easily said... Yeah, you, yeah, you know, yeah, you know, I'd love to be your ranger, and you'd be, and it could have just could dismissed it just as easily. But that is amazing that that was the domino. Between that year, just continuing life, nothing super changed, and nothing, nothing really changed. Nothing
1: really changed now.
0: But that domino fell for a year until it hit the second one that was smoking.
1: Yeah, yeah, and once I quit smoking cigarettes, I uh, like I said, it was. Once I hit like the two-week mark, I knew I was in the clear. Um, I don't know. Have you ever smoked cigarettes regularly? or No, any, not regularly. Guess, have you ever been, You've never been physically addicted to cigarettes. Not so. cigarettes,
0: no. And uh, my wife was a smoker for a long time when we met, when we got married. I'm sure she's fine with me saying this, but she doesn't anymore. But it has been very difficult for her to quit. Very different. Oh yeah. It's
1: never thought I would, man. I, and you know, people ask me, you know, what's your secret? I can't even tell you. Cause I didn't intend to quit when I did. <laughs> it, it was, I was sick. Knew It would be worse if I kept smoking through it. Yeah. Five days later, light bulb moment. Here I am. But you know, about two weeks into after quitting cigarettes, I felt like a completely different person. And I was like, this is real. I'm never going back again. What else can I do? Want got to lose weight. That was the first thing I thought was I've got to change my life around. I've got to get in shape so I can join the army. <laughs> you know, that was throughout the course of events. That was the uh, proverbial carrot dangling in front of me. The entire time was just do what I need to do so I can join the damn army. And then it was start small, right? So, I had experienced so many instances of, yeah, I'm going to change my life. I'm going to start working out seven days a week and dieting right now. And you just like do that for maybe two days, three days and you crash and burn. And it's like, oh, this is too.
0: That's that's me. That's me, yeah. if I'm honest with it, when it comes to doing something like that, lose a bunch of weight or get in great shape. Doesn't work. Doesn't. It works for some. Didn't work for me. And it sounds like it didn't work for you. So what did?
1: So a word for me was setting small attainable goals and just taking it easy. All right. Uh, It was a slow, gradual process that uh, led to everything that uh, we're going to discuss here. But, uh, you know, it was so cigarettes. Okay, cool. That's taken care of. Diet, eating right. You know, I'd always heard the old adage. You know, abs are made in the kitchen, right? I think we've all heard that at some point. Yeah, I've heard
0: that. I've never seen it myself. with yeah, yeah, me, still, but uh, yeah, I've heard working it. Working <laughs> on that
1: myself, but uh, I had an understanding that food, what I put in my body, was gonna be almost more important than what I did with my body, right? So
0: you probably knew that started, better than anybody. Just with,
1: yeah, uh, yeah. just on
0: the other end of the spectrum is how you your experience with it
1: oh god man yeah so i went from uh i went from a diet of you know eating entire boxes of cheez-its and entire pizzas and mcdonald's multiple mcdonald's sandwiches for breakfast just eating at a complete free fall speed to uh I guess I'll count calories. I guess that's that's a thing people do. And it was suggested to me by a buddy of mine who, you know, I there were a handful of friends that uh, I would bounce ideas off and they would give me tips here and there. And I don't want to say they weren't supportive. They were. But like at this point in life, you know, I had gone, I had roller coastered so many times, you know, like I just mentioned, you know, we're going to go balls to the wall and change. So it was, they they all kind of took it with a little bit of a grain of salt, but they would just be like, yeah, man, just do this, do that. Count calories, good place to start. So I started there, count calories, eat, eat, whatever, but just don't go over a calorie limit. Quit eating McDonald's pretty quick because <laughs> I realized, oh yeah, one of these meals. Uh, and I'm at my limit. <laughs> that's that's my limit. I'm actually over my limit for the day, so that's cool. And you know, from there, it was just once I have a set calorie limit that I know I can stick to. Let's eat food that we know we're supposed to eat, right? Let's be honest; like we know what's bad for us for the most part. I can't speak in too general of a sense there, because I don't know. Some people think like vitamin water is good for you, for example, you know, but uh you know, once you start counting calories and stuff like that, you realize, oh crap, what are these calories made up of? Let's make sure we're getting, you know, meat, plants, good sources of carbs, etc. After a couple months of just having my diet somewhat in check, I was like, all right, it's time to be more active. Now that I've got this taken care of, now I'm going to start working out, or at least going to the gym.
0: What kind of progress were you seeing with just the food?
1: I don't know. Well, uh, as far as like weight on the scale is concerned, overall I felt amazing. You know, how, and how um,
0: long did you give that?
1: About two months. Okay. Two months, maybe three of just, you know, just watching what I ate, sticking to that calorie. Decent amount of time. Yeah. You know, I feel like if you can do something for three months, you can make it a lifelong habit. I think anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone's a little different, but, uh, I, 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 really, I do believe that, you know, like two to three months. It's like, if you can adhere to something that long, there's no reason you can't keep doing it. And that's kind of the logic I used. So, uh, yeah and you know, I just it was a complete one eighty with how I felt day to day you know when you're literally just pumping your body full of like cheap, nasty, simple carbohydrates and sugar versus you know eating lean proteins and you know carbs from you know rice and vegetables and sweet potatoes that kind of stuff it's a complete one eighty and i I had no real understanding of just how much better I would feel from what I ate alone it was it was pretty staggering, to be honest.
0: You gave that a few months, felt a lot better. And I feel, like, I feel like the ball is rolling here. Then you introduce another huge component of this, which is the physical side. Yeah. What did you begin doing?
1: So, again, that was an area I started very slowly with. Before I even set foot in a gym, I would just go for walks, pretty, pretty long walks, you know, a um, couple miles. It was long for me at the time. And uh, so I would always go at night, usually go at night, so I could hide, if that makes sense. And I would always have headphones on because I knew people were going to mess with me. I'll put it politely there. Yeah. You know, I can't tell you how many times I would just walk down the street. You always get people that yell at you from their car window. And, you know, I knew that was going to be a reality. And I knew it would just upset me and, you know, maybe potentially derail me if it happened. So I would just throw these headphones on, not these, but, you know, similar headphones on and just walk at night. And, um, you know, maybe people were making fun of me. Maybe people were saying things, but I didn't hear it. (laughs) And uh, that's where I started, you know, because I, I, I emphasize that because... I was so afraid of going to a gym. And I feel like this is a problem a lot of overweight people have is like the notion of setting foot in a gym when you're as heavy and large as I was, like you're you're terrified. You you think you're gonna be in there and it's gonna be a bunch of meatheads that are just, you know, jacked to the gills and mm-hmm. everyone's gonna make fun of you and be an asshole and I guess the, my message and the important thing to realize is, you know what, that's probably going to happen regardless of what you look like,
0: you know, (laughs) no matter how fit or not you are. Yeah.
1: No matter whether you're fit, whether you're fat, there's always going to be people that talk smack about you or make fun of you. And you know, what what are you going to do about that? You're going to let those people dictate how you live your life. no.
0: Yeah. It says a lot more about them than it does you, of course. Exactly.
1: Yeah. You know, any negativity projected towards you is pretty much all coming from a place of um, insecurity and self-hatred speaking from experience, you know, being that guy for so long, but uh, yeah, you know, started walking at night, eventually more during the day, just kind of building up the tolerance to a, being more physically active and be just kind of mentally psyching myself up to uh deal with what's ahead of me here. And, you know, this whole time I'm thinking like, you know, you better just deal with this shit because you're doing this so you can join the army. You think you're not going to get messed with there. <laughs> you know, you think it's not going to be like a hard environment. Like you right. better harden up real quick, man, <laughs> because you know, let let people say what they're going to say because you know, I didn't know it at the time, and this wasn't necessarily my mindset at the time. But anyone that you catch giving you side eye or making fun of you at, at a gym, for example, give it two months. Hell, give it a month. In some cases, you'll never see those people there again, but you'll stay active. You know, yeah. and I can't tell you how many times I experienced that. You know, I get people just like literally like looking at me like, "What are?" what are you doing here? Never saw him again. Or I would see him again, you know, six months, a year later, they look like shit. (laughs) And I'm a completely different person. Again, not judging them, but it's just, you know, it's, it's, it's insane. What happens when you just stay committed and don't let fear dictate your actions. So started walking, went to a local gym After about a month or two of that. And they set me up with like a beginner workout program because another big issue was like you go to a gym. And as a dude, when you go to the gym and you don't know what you're doing, you hit the bench, you do some bicep curls, and maybe you walk on the treadmill. I feel like that's, I don't know, not speaking for everyone, but for me, keep
0: it, you keep it pretty, there's a, yeah, there's some go-to
1: stuff for yeah, sure. It's just like, well, I don't, I literally don't know what to do. So this looks good. Right. And, but you know, so they set me up with a program that uh, at least gave me like a blueprint to follow. And that and bouncing ideas of like, hey, what exercises should I do for this for my friends that are, you know, athletes and, you know, even Dakota. Like, I I had this pool of people that would give me advice from, you know, the collegiate athlete side of things, the tactical military athlete side of things, and then just like recreational people in between. So I had a pretty wide network of people that I could just, I don't know... Bounce ideas, get tips and knowledge off them, and it wasn't long before I was using that information to kind of just do my own programming and go from there. Yeah, once I got my foot in the door of going to the gym, I tried to do the small attainable goals thing. There, it was just show up three days a week and do ten miles of cardio, whether that was walking or you know riding a stationary bike, and that very quickly became going to the gym five six days a week and, you know, uncold amounts of, you know, stationary bike going for walks. So, you know, once I developed the baseline of, you know, habits I can adhere to, figuring out how to actually be disciplined, no pun intended, but it was like a wildfire spreading <laughs> as far as, you know, just positive, sustainable habits from there. You know, once I started going to the gym in about um, March, April, 2016, it was pretty rapid progress.
0: So the, the goal was to get into the Army. W- tell us about that. Like, what was, were you taking steps to actually, you know, go to some sort of training or some sort of introductory courses or, you know what I'm saying? I don't even know, basic training I know the door was eventually shut there. What was that process? And how did you handle that since this was such a, you know, the the kind of the thing that started all this off? Let's take a quick message break and hear from the folks that helped make this show possible. That is plenty of that for now. Let's get back into the episode.
1: 2016, I focused pretty solely on just, you know, getting to a Baseline level of fitness to where I knew I could enter Army basic training and survive that. For me, there were a lot of rude awakenings <laughs> along the uh, the process of getting in shape for that. You know, push ups, pull ups, that kind of thing. I, I sucked at all of it. Didn't grow up, you know, doing pull ups in the tree in the backyard or like running up hills or anything like that. I, I had to start from a baseline of literally nothing with all of this so it took a long time to get to the point where i could comfortably say i'm ready to at least make it through army basic training so i I wasn't even gonna waste a recruiter's time until i knew i was at that point so 2017 is when i first walked into a recruiter station by that time, my goals had shifted slightly. I still wanted to join the Army, obviously, but I had read more about Army special operations and the different units within that. And the mission set of Green Berets really stuck out to me a lot. You know, still wanted to be in the Army special operations sector. And so basically, I just I walked through a recruiter station, didn't know what to do. I didn't know if I should call or whatever. I'm like, I'm, I'm just going to show up. So I knock on the door. Sergeant Donovan answers, and he's like, "Hey, what's? How can I help you?" Like, "Hey, interested in joining up?" Uh, It's like semi awkward. It's just like, uh, "Hey, this this where people join the army? Can I come in?" Like, so we sit down, and I'm just like, "I want to be an 18 Bravo. Here's who I am. Here's what I've done to get to this point. What can you do for me?" In, in more eloquent terms than that. Right. And the, and there was just like this, you could hear like a pin drop in the silence and he's like, well, he's like, I've never had anyone walk through that door and speak that way or know specifically what path they want to go down in the army. He's like, uh, and then that was just, that was the beginning of that guy doing so much work <laughs> to get me in the army. It was such a crazy experience. I thought I had this, I'm barely exaggerating. I had this envision of you go to a recruiter station, tell them you want to join up. And they're like, yeah, okay. And there's a boss that shows up or something. Right.
0: Yeah. It is not,
1: it is not that straightforward,
0: but that is the first step, right? You go into a recruiter's it, it, it office the and they, maybe yeah. they, Maybe the bus isn't there then, but they can tell you, you know, the time frame that, that you're supposed to be somewhere and what you need to be prepared for, for something. I don't know. So this guy was, uh, interested. Like he, he was wanting to really help you out here.
1: Yeah, no, he was, he was great. Everyone in that office was great. There were a few. There were a few things that needed to be addressed. Um, I had been arrested for some marijuana possession in my uh, youth, so that was something I needed to get a uh, waiver for. There was just so much random dumb stuff. Like I needed to have a police report from every city I had lived in ever. <laughs> or rather a lack of a police report, basically confirmation from every police station in every city I had ever lived in that I wasn't arrested or in their system or that I was arrested. Basically that I wasn't omitting anything because I was yeah. arrested, you know, Williamsport, Pennsylvania for some marijuana possessions. Sorry to your listeners. I know that's probably hard to hear, hard to handle, but, uh, <laughs> But, you know, I digress. We got to so, cut you know, the
0: conversation off. I'm yeah, not talking gotta, to you
1: anymore, young man. Yeah. Oh, so, boy. you know, stuff like that. And, um, you know, when I finally did go to a MEPS, uh, military entrance processing station, it went pretty well, actually. Um, you know, made it through the duck walk, all that stuff, testing and placement, all that, and came down to, you know, and I'm sitting there in the lobby and I'm watching everyone that I started the day with, you know, get their final paper signed. Like they're, you're good to go, you know, go talk to your recruiter for the rest of whatever comes next for you. And oh, man, this is, this is happening. This is about to happen. This is so real right now. And I go in for my one-on-one physical examination and, you know, just me and this guy, I'm in my underwear. He has me lay down at this table and he's like, you've lost a lot of weight. I'm like, yep, you could say that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh, and he's like, "What's this all about?" And he points to my legs. I'm like, "Oh, what do you mean?" So, <laughs> I have what's known as edema in my legs, uh, lymphedema specifically. Basically, what that means is I get leg swelling. Comes from you know being on my feet. The, the the type of socks I wear, even the kind of food I eat dictates it, actually. Like, if I eat, like, a bunch of, like, sugary crap or drink a lot of beer, it seems to affect my, uh, fluid retention down there. And I have some varicose veins, which actually cause the, the edema. This is all a byproduct of, you know, just trashing my body for the majority of my life. You know, being as heavy as I was smoking like a chimney, drinking like a fish. It it all, it all created some long lasting damage that unfortunately I still have today, but I didn't really think anything of it because, you know, at this point I'm ready to go, man. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm running 20, 30 miles a week. I'm I work out all the time. Like, yeah, the leg swelling is there, but I, as far as I'm concerned, it's just something aesthetic. You know, it's, it's kind of weird. Like I don't like to you know, it's it's noticeable, but, you know, it doesn't prohibit me from doing anything. And I had even asked a doctor um, earlier that year, like, hey, I noticed my leg seems to swell up. You know, the rest of me is getting uh, skinnier, but my legs don't seem to be. And she's like, oh, that's fine. Here's some compression socks. Don't worry about it. So I didn't.
0: And it fluctuates right, if I'm not mistaken, it, it does
1: fluctuate, yeah, um, yeah,
0: like you said, based on what you eat and whatnot yeah, there,
1: there are multitude factors, some days it's great this day it wasn't I swear to God, it was like a scene from a movie. The guy walks over to a shelf, pulls out this binder of disqualifying conditions, and points to the i c d code for varicose veins and then edema, and uh Tells me that I can't get in with this condition. So then the chief medical officer comes in and one of the other doctors that they have on staff, they're all going back and forth. Meanwhile, I'm just standing there in my underwear awkwardly as they're trying to figure out what the hell to do with me. They try to make some phone calls to get some waivers or see if they can do anything about it. And I end up leaving MEPS that day, not joining the army.
0: And not having the ability to
1: not having the ability to and you know i'm pretty uh at per what they told me given my condition but that recruiter i mentioned the awesome the saint that he is he's like we're not done yet he's like you can't join the army with this condition but if you get the condition fixed then we can send you back through MEPs and they can reevaluate you and deem that you're good to go
0: is this something that they would notice without it physically being there? Like if your legs had not been swollen that day, would, would it be something they would test for
1: or anything? I don't see the, there are still the varicose veins. Those yeah, the kind I, of veins really I know
0: exactly what you're yeah. talking about with folks who, who often deal with weight issues. There's oftentimes, you know, the leg is swollen. The veins are kind of sticking out. Yeah, I, you know, I, I don't know what it means, you know, necessarily, but it, it sounds like that's something that would keep you from joining. Huh? Yeah.
1: I don't know. If the leg swelling was down that day, maybe they wouldn't have dinged me for that. But you know, it's uh it's interesting from there on out because you know I worked so I, I think to myself, okay, no factor, let's let's go. You know, I'm not I'm not giving up on this and I've I've come this far. You know, this is just one road bump. This is not gonna deter me. If there's something I can do. I'm going to do it. So I worked at a hospital at the time. Then I'm thinking, I have great health insurance. I work at a hospital. I'll just go talk to vascular surgery, see what they can do to fix me up, and be good to go. Went and saw a vascular surgeon. He shot me straight and said, "We can uh, perform a stab phlebectomy, which is a condition that will." Alleviate the veins, which will alleviate the swelling, but it won't be a permanent solution because the damage that has been done to your vascular system is actually permanent. So I figured, okay, but it'll buy me some time. So that's what I did. But my insurance didn't cover that procedure. So I ended up having to switch jobs. I worked in juvenile corrections for the state of New York for a time to get health insurance that would cover the procedure, got the procedure done on both legs, all said and done, okay? You were, ju- I to, you were
0: switching careers to, to do this.
1: 100%.
0: During all this time, you're also still maintaining or training or, or, or getting stronger or at least staying where you were physically?
1: Yeah, no, this whole time, I'm still, I'm learning more. I'm learning more about, strength and conditioning you know i'm doing now specific programs for my specific goal of you know i'm not just trying to survive in basic training anymore i I, like i said i still want to be in army special operations so i'm getting closer and closer to those standards now just doing what i can so you know You do a five mile run and holding an eight minute or below pace, you know, trying to do as many pull-ups as possible, push-ups, squats, deadlifts, all that stuff, you know, really evolving quite a bit in the uh, realm of strength and conditioning while, you know, working towards the ultimate goal. Yeah. Changing jobs, jumping through hoops. Oh my God. It's I'm not going to get into all of it here and now because it's just so convoluted. But the long and short of it is 2017 to 2019. Almost two years to the day since I walked into a recruiter station to when I finally was able to take the oath of enlistment and become government property effectively. December of 2019, I took the oath of enlistment and was told I was going to ship out in February of 2020. Interesting time in history, right?
0: What's striking me about this journey and what you're doing is no matter what you keep facing setbacks. But also you just keep moving forward and it's really impressive how you just keep rolling with it. And we're not even you know at where you get on the PCT and do that, but you're you're still pursuing this one goal and still rolling with it. And your story now isn't even what you were planning then, but you just keep trying to find a way, I love it. So you get enlisted and what did that feel like?
1: Oh my, I, the moment, so I kind of swore in twice because there was like once I went up to um, basically just make it official, right? And then I had to do it again when I was actually going up to ship out um, in February. But uh once I man once I knew it was happening I uh everything changed. It was like I was already devoted. I was already you know in it. But my god, it was just you know I was doing pushups every hour but legitimately. You know, just like just like in, How strong
0: were you then?
1: You know, I was probably I was walking around at about 2:30 and you know, I could bang out a set of close to fifty push ups before I would start to get fatigued. You know, I could do like six strict pull ups, which isn't like great. I know it's not great, but just I don't know, for like me and where I came from, I was like, I was in the game now, you know? Like I was I was finally where I needed to be and I was only gonna get better. Um my deadlift max was somewhere around Four fifty, I don't know. You know, not like stellar numbers, especially for someone of my body weight. But you know, I was and you know, I could run pretty close to a seven minute mile, which again, not great. But for you know, a couple of years prior, throwing up trying to run one mile on a treadmill, you know, it's oh, it's amazing. Everything was coming together.
0: That's a great way to put it. everything was coming together, and you were in the game. Yeah. Was there anybody? especially when you enlisted, sworn in, uh, you know, whatever that moment that was really impactful to you was, was there anyone you just had to tell or had to show or or prove it to? Like, hey, I I did it.
1: Honestly, it's the only person I was trying to prove anything to was myself at that point in time. There weren't a ton of people that even knew that I was what I was doing. Maybe a dozen people in total of everyone I ever knew in my entire life that I told face to face, like that I was trying to join the army or that this was what I was doing and they knew about it. I was just in it for me, man. You know, I was in it to prove to myself that I was capable of more than, you know, anyone ever told me I would be and that I could actually do something that would, uh, you know, make, make a difference in the world and matter. I know some people might hear you thought joining the army was going to be that thing. You know, I'm not going to to argue politics or get into that. Man, I was in it for myself at that point, you know, with the goal being to just make it to a team.
0: And then what happened? The timing, COVID, all that. What, what was going on?
1: Swear in, uh, sell pretty much all my stuff except for, you know, a handful of what, whatever I can fit in my car. Some books, some clothes, my camera that I hadn't used in years at that point anyway, but say goodbye, you know, uh, here I go blank slating my life and I'm off to Fort Benning, Georgia, February, 2020, supposed to start red phase on Valentine's day. That would have been great. Get down there. Things are going well. You know, we get off the bus get into formation. It's the whole, like, you know, get off the bus, all that, you know, line up, grab your stuff. They're not like the shark attack necessarily. I never felt more at home than I did in that formation. And it was just like, you know, sounding off for the first time. I was like, this is exactly where I want to be And there is not a thing on this earth that's going to stop me from reaching my goal at this point. Like I've made it this far. Nothing can stop me. No one's going to break me. And I'm going to achieve what I set out to achieve. And I was just in this hyper-focused mindset that in a lot of ways I haven't really ever had since. Very unique state of mind to be in. But yeah, man, I was... I was either going to um, make it to a special forces group or die trying. You know, that was my mindset. You know, you're not, I'm not going to quit. So if you don't want me here, force me to leave or, you know, take me out in a body bag because I'm all in.
0: Then COVID hit.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, oh my God, COVID. So that's my mindset, right? A couple days in, we're getting our gear issued. We're going to get boots. And that leg swelling happens to come back. And I don't think anything of it. I don't care. I'm here. I made it through MEPS for this. You know what I mean? Speaking of which, when I made it through MEPS, the swelling was a lot better, as they said it would be. But it was still there a little bit. So to play it safe, I found these compression socks that looked like, you know, business dress socks because you're supposed to dress like a business casual when you're at MEPS anyway. I'm like, "It, it works. It fits in. So wore those completely devoid of all any signs of the edema. So they sent me through and I guess, I don't know, maybe that came back to bite me in the ass a little bit because, you know, I was getting boots issued and the leg swelling was back and the person issuing the boots said, I can't give you boots. You need to go to medical. And me thinking like, Oh no, man, it's good. I'll have, you know, I made it through maps, <laughs> you know, like that matters. Right. And they're just like, no, no, like I'm not giving you boots. They're getting like confrontational with me. Yeah. I'm not trying to make a scene. So I talked to the drill sergeant, in the situation, he sends me and Diaz up to medical. And I just had this really like nervous feeling because you, you don't want to go to you never want to go to medical for at least in this stage of the game because they're gonna try to kick you out or give you grief for whatever they can and sure enough you know the the physician's assistant i saw there she took one look at my legs and she asked me how i got there i'm like well i you know Here's a little rundown of everything that got me. (laughs) It's kind of a long story. She point blank looks me in the eye and says, You will never have a career in the army with this condition. And I was I was I was literally, I was just taken back. Yeah, it's like hard to form words. Like your dream is just like I can see my dream in front of me. And it's about to die, and there's nothing I can do. I, I, I still I hold on to hope in this moment. I'm like, oh, you don't understand. Meps sent me through, and she's like, no, I, I understand. She's like, they shouldn't have sent you through with this condition. And I'm like, oh, jeez, damn! I thought I was in the clear here. That was the moment everything 180ed.
0: So, you, I mean, there's no escaping that. You, you too many people witnesses too much, you know, I don't, I don't know, note-taking like you couldn't
1: hide that anymore. No, no, it's, it's documented in my health history. You know, it's as soon as you walk through maps, you are, everything's documented. Mm -hmm. Everything you tell them or don't tell them in some cases, you know, they have everything on you at that point.
0: I mean that dream, you know, for all intents and purposes, died that day.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I went from the most motivated and just driven and, you know, white. I'm ready to just white-knuckle life and, like, die trying to get to my goals to I literally now have no idea what my life is going to be because apparently I am not continuing this process of uh, becoming a soldier. So I went to basically just becoming government property and taking up space in Fort Benning at the uh, 30th AG Battalion. And man, did things get weird from that point on. Oh, yeah? Yeah. So COVID, COVID's happening this whole time. I don't understand. I don't know. I don't have contact with the outside world. I just keep hearing rumors about that Um, It's supposedly in this place now. It's supposedly in that place now. You never know what to believe. So I'm just writing and reading as much as possible to try and pass the time and try to make a game plan for whatever the hell I'm going to do when I get out of here. And I determined that I'm going to try to travel as much as possible. You know, go see Oregon and California, these places I've always wanted to see. I find this book in the Barracks Library, called The Pursuit of Endurance by Jennifer Farr Davis. Great book, if you've ever read it, or definitely check it out if you haven't. And in this book, she talks about the Pacific Crest Trail among, you know, also the Continental Divide and the Appalachian Trail. But I was like, wow, I'd heard of the Appalachian Trail but i had never heard of the pacific crest trail i was like wow a west coast version of the at that's kind of nuts that would be incredible to see someday and i had no intention of hiking the whole thing or attempting to at that point but i was thinking to myself yeah i'll go i think i'll go check out this pacific crest trail <laughs> when i get out of here and meanwhile the world is uh locking down and by the time i actually make it out of Fort benning and back here in pennsylvania i it was mere days before the actual lockdowns themselves started and i wasn't sure if the world was actually ending or what the hell was happening and stuff got really weird from there on out
0: (laughs) well dang well we're an hour 22 in and we haven't even talked about your life on the trail yet this is crazy this might be a two-parter you're living up to your name yeah (laughs) first of all thank you so much for listening it means the world to us that you choose to listen to this show if you'd like to help us further you can leave a review on itunes share us with your friends your family it goes a long way to grow in the show you can also support us financially through patreon.com adventure sports podcast link is in the show notes